I'm Sandy Willette. And I am Nancy Marie. Co-chairs of Beyond the Mass Committee to evaluate scholarly doctoral projects. Next deadline for work to be considered to present on Beyond the Mask is October 1. Please complete the one-page application found on Beyond the Mask webpage to be considered. We look forward to working with you. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. My name is Jeremy Heiner. And I'm Sass Elisha. And together, Jeremy and I have a combined, I hate to say it, 40 years of That's working, way too long. Yeah, it is. <laughs> working with anesthesia students. You know, we try to do our best in terms of educating the, you know, our membership. We speak nationally. We do state associations. And we really, really enjoy it a lot. It's very gratifying, and we appreciate you guys listening. And we know that your time is important. So what we're going to talk about today I think is very valuable in terms of clinical practice. And so we're going to get right to it. Let's uh, let's all take some deep breaths together. Reoxygenate yourself because what time is it, Sass? It is go time. Go time. We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we want to bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession. Okay, so Sass, how many times have you been in the OR and you've done a preoperative evaluation on a patient and they have an allergy to penicillin? So you bring that up in the briefing and maybe the surgeon or, or another anesthesia provider says, you know what, let's not give cefazolin, let's not give ANSEF, let's give something different. Yeah, it, you know, obviously penicillin allergies aren't that common, but of course we're ultra conservative in anesthesia. We don't want to, you know, possibly introduce something that is gonna cause the patient to have an allergic reaction and even worse, anaphylaxis. So therefore, we avoid it and give something else. And that's I think that's been common practice for quite some time. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. All right, so we want to go over maybe a few possible common beliefs. And maybe you've heard this before, that there's an estimated 8 to 10% of patients who have an allergy to penicillin and will develop a similar allergy to cephalosporin. Yeah, and, yeah, right? absolutely. And then, you know, we also think about, you know, if someone has an allergy to ANSAF or a cephalzolin, then we can go ahead and give them another type of drug like Vanco, Clinda, 
or even genomycin, and we make the assumption that they're just as effective in terms of decreasing surgical infections. Yeah, exactly. And then what about the liability in terms of giving ANSEF or cefazolin to a patient who has a penicillin allergy? So I think these three assumptions, the fact that uh, there's a high estimated percentage of pa- that a patient will develop an allergy to cephalosporin if they have a penicillin allergy, that these other second-line antibiotics are just as effective, and how liable I'll be, I'll be if I do give ANSEF, we're going to talk about all that. Let's do it. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Okay, so let's start a little bit with some history. You know, where, where did this 8 to 10% come from of, uh, you know, the possibility of, of developing a, a cephalosporin allergy? It, it must come from current literature, right? Well, if current is in the 1970s, then yes. <laughs> uh, so in the 1970s, there was a researcher named Dr. Petz, and he published a review of available data at the time And he described an instance of cross-reactivity in penicillin-allergic patients to cephalosporins that was as high as 8%. So I think that's maybe one one of the areas where we get that 8 to 10%. Now, there's a couple of issues with what they were doing at the time. Number one, he was gathering data that was just available. And I don't know what kind of search engines we had or they had in the 1970s in terms of gathering data. But also, he was doing tests on subjects' blood. And what he was doing is he was taking blood from patients who were allergic to penicillin. He was injecting a first-generation cephalosporin. And this particular cephalosporin was cephalofen, which no one uses. They were looking to see if there was a hemagglutin reaction in, in blood. So the data that we are extrapolating, or the belief in terms of... Uh, an allergy to a cephalosporin, if somebody has a penicillin allergy, is coming from, you know, not not really tight, con- tightly controlled evaluation of, of literature, or um, it's coming from in vitro studies. All right, Sass, so what about a penicillin allergy? Let's start there. Yeah, so so many of our patients, you know, when, and again, we're always cautious, someone says they have an allergy, and we're always very concerned. In terms of a penicillin allergy specifically, it is the most common drug allergy in the United States, and it affects approximately 10% of the population. However, 80 to 90% of patients who self-report having a penicillin allergy actually test negative for a penicillin allergy after skin testing. So again, you know, when non-medical people think about an allergy, an allergy, we, you know, our biggest issue is airway swelling, anaphylaxis, that kind of right, stuff. Right. But, you know, they may, you know, a patient may think an allergy to an antibiotic is GI upset, which is 
a side effect of an antibiotic or many other types of medications. Right. Which is not a true allergy. Right. And, you know, for us, that's, you know, it's totally fine. You know, we're always concerned about anaphylaxis, of course. So skin testing is safe and reliable for type 1 IgE hypersensitivity reactions. The frequency of positive skin test results decreased by 10% each year. Therefore, 80 to 100% of patients may test negative for penicillin allergies 10 years after an initial reaction. And after 20 years, 100% test negative. So they're losing their antibodies. That's right. And this makes sense because, you know, we have to get our tetanus shot every few years because we lose, we, we lose those antibodies. Mm-hmm. So let's get a little bit more into this and let's start talking about the chemistry and the actual subgroups of cephalosporins that could cause an allergy or the theories as to why cephalosporins could cause allergies. Yeah, so why are we concerned? If we look at how these medications are built, the chemistry behind these medications, uh, you've probably all heard about the beta-lactam ring. And so both penicillins and cephalosporins are built on this beta-lactam backbone. And these medications that have that beta-lactam backbone are very, uh, they're very useful in treating and even preventing infections, uh, specifically patients uh, who have potential for infections of the urinary tract, the respiratory tract, and any skin infections. And here's where these, all these different antibiotics differ. Off of the beta-lactam backbone, they'll have different chemical subgroups. They call them R side chains. And usually there's two of them, an R1 and an R2 side chain. And they're all different for the the different penicillins. They have their specific R uh, side chains and the cephalosporins all have their specific R uh, side chain or groups. When we look at studies that report on cross-reactivity between penicillins and cephalosporins, a lot of times what they'll conclude is that cephalosporins that have R side chains that are similar to penicillin R side chains, those are the specific cephalosporins where people develop cross-reactivity and develop an allergy. So the theory is, is that people aren't allergic to the beta-lactam portion of the antibiotic. It's truly the R side chains that are the offending agents that cause people to have an allergic reaction. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the the leading theory is that people are going to develop antigens to the R side chains. Now, is it possible that patients uh, develop antibodies to the beta-lactam backbone? Sure, it is. But again, the leading theory is it's these R side chains. Now, here's something that's really interesting. Cephazolin or Ancef is a first-generation cephalosporin that has R side chains that are unique and they are not similar to any other penicillin or cephalosporin. All right, now let's talk a little bit more about information related to cross-sensitivity or cross-reactivity between penicillins and ANSEF specifically. Yeah, and all the studies that we'll talk about, you can look at the show notes and you can look into these studies on your own if if you are so inclined. Most of the data that's out there is retrospective data, so it's observational. Researchers are looking at charts and they're extrapolating data. When we look at this, we want to find studies that A, include a lot of patients, 
B, include a lot of different types of patients or surgeries, not just one specific type. So for example, I don't want to put a lot of credibility in just one study that's using only orthopedic patients. I would put more credibility in a study that's using orthopedic patients and ENT patients and GI patients and, and so on and so forth. So let's talk about one, uh, the first study. This was uh, done, uh, it was published in 2015 in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery by Beltran et al. And they looked at patients who had a penicillin allergy. Um, these were patients who self-identified as having a penicillin allergy, so they weren't documented. They didn't have a skin test, but they were self-reporting. Of the 513 patients who had this penicillin allergy self-reported, 153 of them received cefazolin. They received ANCEF for their surgical procedure, antibiotic prophylaxis. Of the 153 patients who received a cephalosporin, 83% of those received ANCEF. There was only one documented case of non-anaphylaxis. It was a non-anaphylactic reaction that was reported out of those 153. And the alternative, so what did all the other patients get? They got clindamycin. And here's the interesting thing. The reported adverse reaction rate to clindamycin, 1.5%. So even though we're giving a second, second line antibiotic, there's still a risk of a reaction. And we'll talk about that coming up. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists, inviting you to attend our 15th World Congress for Nurse Anesthetists, May 3rd through 6th in Brisbane, Australia. There is truly something there for everyone. Come hold a koala, kangaroos out of your hand, or if you're really adventuresome, climb one of the world's three climbing bridges. Australia has something for everyone, and I can't wait to see you there. All right, so the next study that uh, we're going to focus on was also published in 2015, and it was by Macy et al. And believe it or not, this was uh, published at the hospital system that we both work at, uh, Kaiser Permanente, and specifically in Southern California. So, SAS, if you, uh, if you, received a cephalozolin, cephazolin within, I think it was the between 2010 and 2012, then we were unwitting participants in this particular study. They looked at 3.2 million Kaiser Permanente members who received cephazolin and ceph either orally or IV. And what they were doing was they were looking to see what happened, what kind of reactions occurred, whether they were minor or major, such as anaphylaxis. What they found over this, and again, this was retrospectively, they found that the most serious cephazolin, cephalosporin-associated adverse drug reaction were C. difficile within 90 days, a nephropathy within 30 days, and an all-cause mortality within one day. So that what that means is a death rate from any cause that may not be related to that cause being studied. Now, here are the interesting things, because what do we really want to know? We want to know if a severe reaction is going to occur if uh, an individual, if we're going to give our patients uh, cephalosporin, and specifically ANCEF, because that's what we use mostly. What this study did was it looked at all patients who just received a cephalosporin. It also looked at patients who had a penicillin allergy and received cephalosporin. So what were the results? 
what they found in terms of serious adverse reaction was that anaphylaxis occurred in five cases of patients who were receiving an oral cephalosporin. And so that was five cases out of 3.2 million, which comes out to be 0.0006%. So it's pretty rare in terms of anaphylaxis happening. And in those patients who were receiving IV cephalosporin, anaphylaxis occurred in seven out of 260,000. And that comes out to be 0.002%. So it's pretty rare. Anaphylaxis, according to this retrospective analysis, was pretty rare. Here's where the rubber meets the road. What about patients who had a documented penicillin allergy and then received ANCEF or a cephalosporin? There were only three cases out of about almost 66,000 patients. And that also comes out to an incidence of 0.002% of patients who experienced anaphylaxis after receiving that medication. So again, we have to take all this with a grain of salt. This was observational data. We don't know all the circumstances and the researchers here, they extracted the data from the electronic medical record. So they concluded that cephalosporins are widely and safely used, even in individuals with a history of penicillin allergy. And the third study that we want to talk about with regards to cross-sensitivity uh, cross was uh, published in 2021, and it was a meta-analysis and systematic review. The author is Sousa Pinto et al. And in this systematic review, they looked at over 6,000 patients, again, retrospectively, and they did this meta-analysis that found that cross-reactivity between penicillins and cefazolin, so specifically ANCEF, was rare, with hypersensitivity reactions to cefazolin occurring in less than 1% of patients with an unconfirmed penicillin allergy. So unconfirmed means they didn't get a skin test or they didn't actually have anaphylaxis or anything like that. And then in 3% of patients with a confirmed allergy. So a little bit higher in patients who did have a documented confirmed allergy. Now, we're going to take it a step further because also in this meta-analysis, similar results were observed when specifically analyzing the surgical setting. And what they saw was only one hypersensitivity reaction in about every thousand patients with an unconfirmed penicillin allergy in patients who received cefazolin or ANCEF. These results suggest that pretty much most patients with the penicillin allergy history who have a surgical procedure and receive ANCEF, that it's pretty safe. Now, we will say that they did note the exception to this may be those patients with confirmed penicillin allergies or a history of severe reactions. Because again, they saw about a 3% incidence of cross-reactivity. So that may be where we draw the line. In patients who have a penicillin allergy that's documented, and whatever it may be, whether it's minor or severe, you make the judgment. Maybe that's the patient where you say, you know what, I'm not going to give ANCEF to this particular patient. And I'm going to go with a second, a second line antibiotic. 
And, you know, to further substantiate your point, in Anesthesia and Analgesia, very prestigious journal, in 2018, check et al., and this was their recommendation. I'm just going to read it to you. Current evidence on the structural determinants of penicillin and cephalosporin allergies refute the misconception of cross-reactivity between penicillins and cefazolin. And there is no clear evidence of an increased risk of anaphylaxis in cefazolin-naive and penicillin-allergic patients. So I guess what that means is if a patient hasn't received ANCEF and they have a penicillin allergy, you could consider giving ANCEF. Attention nurse anesthetists. Are you ready to take the first step toward being your own boss? Well, join us for a deep dive into the world of 1099 work with the upcoming workshop, Understanding the 1099 Landscape for CRNAs. Discover the key differences between W-2, PRN, and 1099 work, and equip yourself with essential knowledge, tools, and real-life case studies to make a confident switch to 1099. Not only will you earn up to 5.75 Class A CE credits, but you'll also have the opportunity to learn from the industry's finest, Jeremy Stanley, Sharon Pierce, and more seasoned experts. Plus, enjoy the vibrant sun and golden beaches of Fort Lauderdale while you're at it. This event, approved by the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology, is set for October 19th at the luxurious Marriott Harbor Beach Resort and Spa. Register now and take the first step toward being your own boss and potentially unlock higher earning potential as a 1099 employee. You can register right now at 1099workshop.aana.com. We'll also link to that in the description of today's show. This is an event not to be missed. We'll see you in Fort Lauderdale. Okay, Sass, so now what about the efficacy of these alternative antibiotics? So say I'm not going to use ANSEF because a patient has a documented penicillin allergy and I'm thinking, okay, what what else can I use and how effective are these second-line antibiotics? Of course, with any drug, there are always side effects. And the, you know, non-beta-lactam antibiotics certainly have side effects. The ones that are most commonly used when a practitioner doesn't want to use a cephalosporin such as ANSEF is clindamycin, vancomycin, or genomycin. And the reason they're using them is because they're not related to the penicillin chemically. The problem here is that with increased usage of non-beta-lactam drugs, such such as the ones I just described, encourage the development of antibiotic-resistant organisms. And the use of alternative antibiotics may have very serious side effects. So an example is vancomycin, and we all know that, is associated with vancomycin flushing syndrome. Yeah, exactly. And certainly there are other serious side effects. Um, So to substantiate uh, what you were just talking about, there is a researcher, Blumenthal et al., and she published two different articles in 2018. One was in the uh, Clinical Infectious uh, Disease Journal. The other one was in the British Medical Journal. And essentially she looked at the use of these alternative antibiotics and reported that there was, number one, an increased incidence of surgical site infection when using these alternatives and not using ANSEF. Number two, there was also, like you said, an increased incidence of MRSA and C. difficile. 
So what they recommended, what she recommended, her and her researchers, was that addressing penicillin allergies is really an important public health strategy. You know, does a patient truly have an allergy to penicillin? And is it, or is it just self, self uh, reported? Right. And so many of us think, okay, well, you know, they have an ANS, they have penicillin allergy. Let's just give ANSEF. There are no, there are, you know, no problems associated with giving the other drugs. Obviously, there are. Yeah, exactly. And, and that has to go into your thought process as to cost benefit, what is best for the patient. Yep, exactly. So perhaps it's not as good to use these alternatives in, in comparison to ANSEF. We're always concerned in anesthesia, really in all healthcare, about the issues related to liability and yeah. getting sued. That's a big thing on every anesthesia provider's mind. So let's say someone has a documented penicillin allergy. We've just been talking about data that suggests that for the most part, we can administer IV ANSEF and the issues that uh, could cause uh, an allergic reaction and anaphylaxis the incidence is incredibly, incredibly low. However, if it happens, are you going to lose your license? You know, are you going to be paying out huge amounts of money? What, I know you found this study. Why don't we talk about it in terms of the liability? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting study because we don't always get these. And uh, so this was uh, the, the author, Jeffers et al. It was published in 2018, so relatively new. And they looked at litigation related to prescribing uh, penicillin or cephalosporins to patients with a known penicillin allergy. And this is what they concluded. And I'm, I'm going to specifically focus on those patients who received a cephalosporin and had a penicillin allergy. There were seven cases in all. And of these cases, um, of, the, of the known legal outcome, we only know the legal outcome of four of them, the plaintiff or the patient settled with the physician before one of the cases, and in three of the cases, the defendants or the medical providers were not found liable. And this is, I, I think, is what is most interesting. In the cases in which the defense successfully moved to a summary judgment, this is what the judges cited. And I'm just going to read it here there was a lack of scientific evidence demonstrating a cephalosporin was contraindicated for a patient with a penicillin allergy. So maybe this study can help alleviate some of the litigation fears that are out there. Okay, Sass, so let's round this out. What are all the takeaways from what we've talked about today? So when we talk about the possibility of anaphylaxis associated with either penicillins or cephalosporins, scientists believe chemically the reason is because of the R side chains and not the beta-lactam structure in these two antibiotics. ANSEF does not share a similar R side chain with other penicillins or cephalosporins, therefore theoretically decreasing the possibility of an allergic reaction. And then we've also talked about ANSEF or cefazolin is the best antibiotic given in order to prevent surgical site infections. Yeah, really, from what we've shared today, there is no good evidence to support not giving ANSEF, even if the patient has an unconfirmed history of a penicillin allergy. So where I would draw the line is that 
if this is a systemic and severe allergy, if the patient does have that, if they have a documented anaphylactic reaction or a severe allergy, that's where I would absolutely draw the line and not give ANSEF. In terms of alternate antibiotics, so clindamycin, gentamicin, vancomycin, they're associated with side effects as well and, um, and a higher incidence of infections. So based on all of this evidence, again, unless the patient has a documented serious reaction to penicillin, then I feel comfortable giving ANSEF. As always, thank you so much for hanging out with us during this episode. We hope that you got some information that you can apply to clinical practice and continue to improve patient care. Word of mouth is how any podcast improves and grows. So if you know anyone who you think would enjoy the show, please consider sharing it with them. And as always, our references will be in the show notes. So if you want to check those out. Okay, CRNA Nation, that's it for this episode. Remember, keep ventilating and we'll catch you on the next episode. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.